Let's just take a moment to pause and pray. God, thank you for, um, yeah, this another well-known passage. It feels, God, like as we go through Ephesians, it's sort of this uh, hall of fame of scriptures. There's so many things that come through that we memorized in Sunday school that are important to us, that have motivated us to take steps toward you. And so thank you for this one. And thank you that um, your word is alive, that it's active, that as Hebrews says, it's uh, it has the ability to open our lives even today, thousands of years after um, Paul first wrote these words. Um, so would it do that this morning, God, as we open this word together, would you, uh, through the work of your spirit um, in our hearts, personally, collectively, uh, would you reveal to us both places in our lives that um, you'd want to build us up as a body, but also challenge us, um, bring conviction to us, God, and also shape us to be a people that move out from this building this morning into the city and into our workplaces and our families and our neighborhoods as a presence, your presence here in Seattle. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when I said coming of age movie, uh, Somebody said to me, what do you mean? What is that? And others I heard just talking, and I heard Breakfast Club. Uh, what else? Goonies. We talked about the Goonies. I've been to the Goonies house. Well, Sean's been to the Goonies house. Um, what else did you guys say? Sixteen Candles. Dead Poet Society. Yeah. What about this side of the room? Lion, Lion King. What was that? Oh, sorry. You didn't say Lion King. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> I mean, Lion King's kind of a coming-of-age movie. I'm sorry. I feel so sad. Um, we love these stories, whatever the story is for you. And the reason we love the stories, I mean, um, it doesn't matter our race, our gender, our nationality, uh, what generation we come from, if we're old or young. We've, the reason we love them is we've all had the experience of growing up. Every one of us in the room have grown up. That's just part of being human. <laughs> uh, and whether that experience, like I said, was earlier, was like really uh, difficult for us growing up, um, or profoundly rich, or, or if we're honest, somewhere in between, all of us have had challenges growing up. We needed to do it. In other words, we, we could not remain, as Toys R Us says, children forever. It's just not, that's not reality. So growing up is one of those things that's common to every one of us, and perhaps common to every species on the planet. That's just what it means to be alive, is you, you mature, you grow. All of us were born, all of us are growing every moment of our lives. And the key here this morning as we're in this conversation in Ephesians 4 is that's true for the Christian life as well. You don't get born again and then remain a Christian baby. It's not possible. The Bible refers to growth, growing, maturing, maturity as one of those things common, just commonplace to the people of God. And the Bible often uses the language of metaphor and often fascination and delight to do this. So, for example, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about growth this way. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a sower took planted in his field. And that seed, though minute, grows to be a tree in which the flocks of all the birds can build their nests. That's a vision of what Christian growth could look like, that your life could become a place of refuge, our community become a place of refuge. The concluding word on the growth of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, is this. The child <laughs> grew and became strong in spirit. Do you want to be strong in spirit like that? That's an, a vision for your life. An almost identical observation in Luke chapter 2 is given of Jesus. It says this. As Jesus goes in, into the temple, 
the child grew, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, and then Paul, here in Ephesians, uses a very similar vocabulary to describe, like, the agenda he has for this church that he's helped plant. He says, we come to maturity, to the attaining of the whole measure of the fullness of God, and we do so, we must, in, we must grow up in every way into Christ, who's the head. We, so it's part of life. Growth and maturity are normal experiences in the Christian life. So we must grow. And so here's the question, how? <laughs> like, how do, how do you grow? Like, I, if you're saying Toys R Us, I don't want to grow up. I want to be a Toys R Us kid. But I get it. Like, how does that happen? I've really struggled with this, Jack. I don't know how to grow in Christ. What does growing up in Christ look like? It's different than the growth happening in your body right now because you can't just expect it to happen biologically. There's a different kind of growth that has to happen, and we have to engage it. Now, one of the advantages of looking at this passage like this, this large passage of teaching, is the flow of the argument. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16 kind of flows. Paul's making an argument here. And in particular, the flow has these three parts to it that I want to look at with you. So the first paragraph or so that Silas read says one thing to us. We're going to look at that. And then there's like a second section that says another thing. And then the third thing. And actually, if you put them succinctly as one statement, here's what we're going to look at. Even though we have the life of the Trinity within us, that's the first thing we'll look at, we live in spiritual immaturity. That's the second thing we're going to look at. Until we're willing to do the hard work of developing unity in the church. Okay? So here's the three things. We have the life of the Trinity within us. We live in spiritual immaturity. And yet, if we engage in developing and creating unity in the church, we will grow up. Okay? So those are the three things we're going to look at. So the first thing, and these will flow. So I invite you to have Ephesians 4 open. You can have it on your phone. Or uh, if you have an actual Bible, that's great too. And we'll look at these first, uh, like Ephesians 4, 3 to 6 are going to be the first few verses we look at. So we have the life of the Trinity in us. So let me ask you a question as we go into this point. What is a Christian? If you call yourself a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? Okay. And, and we're told here, I mean, Paul talks in Ephesians 2 about what a Christian is. He said in Ephesians 2, if you remember, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. There's a definite. He raised us up and seated us in the heavenly place. So that's Definition number one of a Christian, you're alive in Christ. And then we're told even more here in Ephesians 4. In verse 15, he says, we'll get to this, but he says, in Christ, Christ is your head and you're the body, right? So if you're a Christian, you're, you're part of a body and Christ is the head. Now, we all know this about bodies. Unless it's Frankenstein, the body's not just stapled onto the head, right? Or the head's not just stapled onto the body, sorry. That's just not how bodies work. Your head, this is getting a little graphic, I'm sorry, but your head is is part of your body. It, it shares the same life as your body, the same blood as your body, the same nervous system as your whole body, um, the same life. Your head is not separate from you. Uh, so when it comes to Christianity, what we learn in verses 3 to 6 is this. Paul describes what the unity of that body looks like. Verse 4, we share the same spirit. Verse 5, we share the same Lord. Verse 6, we share the same God who's Father of all. Do you see it? So we share, because we say this, share the same Father, Son, and Spirit, what this means, we share, this, we share in the life of the Trinity. We talk in Christianity about the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-existent. We share the same life as that God. We share in that life. And so the implication of this, when God, Father, Son, Spirit enters into your life, 
what you experience, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2 and elsewhere, Titus 3, you experience regeneration. So Titus 3, he says, when the, God, when the kindness and love of God our Savior, there's Jesus, when he saved us, he, he didn't save us because of the righteous things we did. That's Old Testament. That's old Israel. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. There's the Spirit. So put differently, God comes into us and completely transforms our DNA spiritually. So what makes a Christian a Christian? What makes you a Christian if you're here today and you call yourself that? It's that you have the life of God, Father, Son, Spirit, in you. And that doesn't make you just a nice person, (laughs) a morally better person by degrees. It makes you an absolutely new person. This is what it means when Paul says, in Christ, every person, 2 Corinthians 5, is a new creation. Old is gone, new has come. This means, by way of application, we should never think of Christianity as just a way of living a better life, a means to an end, like just moral conformity, moral kind of improvement. Don't reduce Christianity. Don't reduce the gospel to that. We should never do that to the Christian gospel and reduce yourselves to that. You're more than just a better person because of Jesus, way more than that. And don't reduce yourself to that by thinking of Christianity as like coming to church, uh, reading some Bible, behaving better at work tomorrow. Coming to church, reading some Bible, being a better dad than your dad was, or whatever it is. It's not a, a way of changing behavior. That's all good. Okay? It's all important, too. I love that we're becoming better people. But the essence of the Christian life, listen to this, is not behavior modification. It's, it's identity transformation. Okay? And C.S. Lewis talks about this in one of his books, Mere Christianity. He says, mere improvement is not redemption. Mere improvement is not redemption. And redemption is what God after, is God after. Redemption improves people here and there. But God is about turning us into new creatures. He says, God became man to turn creatures into son and daughters, not simply produce better women and better men of an old kind, but a new kind of humanity. And he talks about it uh, turning a horse, not into a better horse that can jump higher, but into a new kind of horse, like a winged creature. That's kind of what you are. So becoming a Christian means you're a new creation. And an integral part of that newness is the, the, the life of the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, lives his life within you, which is why Paul in Ephesians 5 is going to say, we're going to get to this in a couple weeks, wake up, <laughs> wake up, sleeper, arise from the dead, because uh, this great power has come into your life, this re- regenerating power, wake up to it. You need to be awake to that. Uh, it should just shock you that the God of the universe lives his life within you. And wants to, wants to express his life through you. You've been raised up. You're born again. It's a huge, huge thing, okay? Which brings us to number two. <laughs> Even though we have that life within us, we live in spiritual immaturity. So in the middle part of the passage, verses 11 to 14, we're going to see all this great stuff about spiritual gifts, prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, all that stuff. Real quick sidebar here, because I don't want to just jump past that. Um, did you notice when we heard that read, or if you've read this before, in Ephesians 4, it doesn't matter in the church what your gift is. Um, it, it doesn't matter. It, it, there's only two kinds of people in the church. There's equippers and there's ministers. Did you guys see that? So as a pastor, it's, I'm in that list of equippers. I'm actually not a minister, though some people, like if I go to LinkedIn or Monster.com, the box I check is minister, right? Or I got ordained as a minister of word and sacrament. That's not truth. Truth is, I'm a quipper, if you just go off the Bible. 
Paul says that the leaders of the church, pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, and evangelists, have one basic job description, and that's to equip the people for the work of ministry. Now, the Greek word here, I just want to break this down because it was so fascinating to me, and it's a total sidebar, so just this is your free one for the week. The Greek word here, Paul uses this one time in the entire, all of his letters, one time in the New Testament, uh, for equipping, actually, is to cause to be fully qualified, to make adequate or to align. I looked it up. It's actually literally like a participle. It's a, if you're an equipped person, you're a perfectly adjusted adaptation. So I thought about that, and I thought of one job in the world that does that. Can you think of that job? A chiropractor. I'm a spiritual chiropractor. So I have a chiropractor. I uh, sit in the back row here. A couple years ago, I really messed up my shoulder. I don't remember if it was a bike accident, what it was, probably a bike accident. And so I went to see my, this Kevin, and um, it was bad, man, both the injury and visiting Kevin Rindall. But uh, he's like our resident Cairo. And so I'm laying on this table, and he gets on top of me. And like, he's like, this is going to hurt. It's going to hurt, but it's going to be better. And he like cracks me, and then he starts doing stuff and moving my shoulder. And like my whole spine and my shoulders and my legs, everything was misaligned. And so I was experiencing all this pain. And though it didn't immediately go away, within days, I mean, I had done all the icing, resting, all that stuff. Within days, I just, it was gone. That sense of pain was gone. And I felt relief within like just minutes and then days. And in a spiritual way, what I'm saying is that's what I and Silas and Becca, we get to do with you, okay? We get to help align you to your gifts, align you to the a sense of identity, how God created you. We've been messed up in life through all kinds of bad experiences, and all I'm here to do is align you back to how God created you. You are created beautiful, wonderful, image of God, image bearers, and I just get to help align you along with other leaders here back to that sense of who you are. Your adequacy in Christ alignment to that. You've been, and the fact that you've been, like I said about Father's Day, that God is enough for you. You've been given enough for the calling He's given you in this moment, in this season, in this day, whatever the task is. He has work for you, whether that's work in the marketplace, some of you are changing jobs, or you're calling as a parent, and you feel totally like you're failing right now, or in your neighborhood, like you don't know how to talk to people in your neighborhood because they kind of freak you out. That's your ministry setting, and God has equipped you there's enough in you because the life of the Trinity lives within you. <laughs> There's enough power within you to, to live into that work. And my job is to align you to it, to help align you to that. Now, just a little more here. Uh, did you notice that the composite work of everybody else, not the leaders, but the rest of y'all, uh, is to minister? So I'm a leader here called to equip you for the work of ministry. Every Christian, I just got to say this, every one of you, if you're a Christ follower today, has been given the gift of ministry. It doesn't matter doesn't matter if you're sitting in this room and you're not doing children's ministry. doesn't matter if you are on the stage playing, or playing drums on the, off the stage or you weren't. You've been given the gift of a ministry. The word that Paul uses there is the, the word diakonia. And that's significant because it's the word where we get the word diaconate from or deacon. So it's to give help. It's to give care. Now, we think of deacons as these people in the church who have extra spiritual gifts. And they go to hospitals, and they know how to pray, and they take care of people who are sick, and they provide meals for new parents. And you're not that. Like, you're just, you're just kind of doing your thing. It's just enough for you to pray for five seconds a day. You can't do—you're not the extra spiritual person. 
I want to challenge that because what Paul says is every one of you, if you're a Christ follower here today, has been given the gift of being a deacon, a caregiver for the body of Christ. According to Ephesians, our ministries of care are not limited to the the things that we, we kind of put them in. All ministry, whether that's making coffee in the morning for people here so they can have a tangible experience of grace in, a, in a, the form of caffeine, <laughs> uh, or, or stacking chairs after the service so that other people can engage in conversation, or playing drums so that other people can use their, their gift of singing and engage in the worship, or leading in children's ministry, or leading a group midweek, or, or whatever it might be, all of that is meant to bring care into people's lives. There's no distinction in the Bible. doesn't have it. Just read it. All ministry is about this. All ministry. And so, <laughs> your job, if you're here, is to, is to I'll, I'm, I'm being faithful in my job, equip you for this, is to discover, whether it's spreadsheets, writing code, working with money, whatever you do, parenting, managing people, is to, to, to respond to that and say, God, how do you want to use me in ministry in my life? Uh, so that all leads to the main point here. <laughs> What's the purpose of all this ministry and like all this equipping and all this stuff that we're engaged in, all this stuff going on in the church? Paul says so in verse 12. He says, the purpose of it all is so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach, in verse 13, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Okay. Now I want us to hear this. All that stuff I just said, all the prepositional phrases and fancy Greek words and stuff is all about just becoming spiritually mature. This thing we're doing Sunday mornings and those women's Bible studies we do on Wednesdays and mops and VBS and whatever you do about becoming spiritually mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's the vision. Everything that happens in the church is about bringing us into maturity. Now, here's the problem. If that's the case, that means we're all immature at a level. Otherwise, we would need to hear that. If we were just mature after we prayed to receive Christ, born again, mature, Paul wouldn't need to say anything about it. But he is reminding us that even though you have the life of the Trinity in you, even though you have a great vision for ministry, you're living in immaturity. Then you, you wouldn't need leaders if you, needed, if you were mature, if you could just be self-feeding, self-educating, self-discipling, Christians. And by the way, that's frankly how most people who say they follow Christ live their lives. We, uh, and I do this occasionally, we say, I don't really need a church. I don't need a gathering like this. I mean, a lot of your friends are probably doing that right now. Man, me and my coffee and my New York Times, it's all good. Me and my podcast and my Christian Spotify station, I just did church. Uh, Me and that mountaintop, I talk about this all the time. Me and my time with God up on top of Mount Si, it's all good, man. Why do I need to be here? Uh, we often mistake personal, individual Christianity for, for robust biblical faith. And robust biblical faith says we need to be part of a body, a gathering of people, and be built up because we are born into spiritual immaturity. We're born again, but we're, we're born spiritually immature. And Paul gets us there by offering this slightly disturbing metaphor in verse 14 of a of a baby on an open ocean. (laughs) He says, well then, when we're mature, we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. I mean, it's totally something out of Grimm's fairy tales, if you think about it. 
little baby in a life raft or something. Maybe that's just me. Sorry, I totally blew it there. But um, as disturbing as that might be, the fact is we are spiritual babies. And the reason we need to be part of a, a local church like this, and I'm so glad you guys have committed yourselves to this, is because otherwise we are going to stay that way. You cannot mature yourself. You cannot disciple yourself. A disciple is a follower. You can't follow yourself unless you're Peter Pan, I guess. But you can't do that. You can't grow yourself up. You need nurturing and somebody to come in from outside of you. And if we, if we say we're going to do it alone, we're exposing ourselves to great spiritual danger, okay? Uh, so think about this. There's a few marks of spiritual maturity I just want to highlight real quick because maybe you guys are like, yeah, I know I'm immature, but I want to show you the ways in which I'm just going to I'm just going to lay it out here right now, okay? There's a few ways in which we, I'm putting myself in the boat here with you, uh, act as spiritual babies. Paul uh, eludes to this. And babies can be really, like, you know, it's fun to see you guys with your babies. Really cool. And yet, we all know, especially if you're a parent, how babies can be really frustrating. And Paul has a few points of frustration with spiritual babies. So the first one, I'm going to give you three real quick is he says, will no longer be infants blown here and there by every wind of teaching. So first and foremost, spiritual babies are not discerning. And we know this about real babies. No discernment, right? So you see, like, food, put it in your mouth. Well, that tasted good. See some sand, put it in your mouth. That was interesting. You see some Drano, put it in your mouth. Not so interesting anymore. A Lego? I mean, like, no, here's soap, here's a book. Like, everything goes in the mouth because the baby can't discern. That's just like, I got to test the world out. You've never seen, you've never seen a baby look at the instructions on the back of a box, read the directions and the ingredients, and decide, hmm, maybe this will be good to eat. Or, like, go to Google and, like, look up, like, sawdust or sand recipes and then see if there's anything that involves sawdust or sand to make food. Like, that doesn't happen. Babies have no discernment. And Paul knows that's how spiritual babies, me and you, at a level are, because when it comes to teaching, until you've grown up a little bit, you don't have discernment. In other words, how many of you, when you first came to the Bible, said this? I heard somebody say this this week. I don't get it. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Especially, like I said, I was going to read the Bible through a year, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. What? What's that? That's weird. Like, And you just kind of like drop off. Where do I start? And I get this question all the time. And it's because you lack discernment. You don't know how to read the Bible. I'm not putting you, I'm I'm with you here. It's really confusing. Um, And so you need discernment. What's more, you come to church on Sundays, you start listening to pastors like me, and you can't generally tell good teaching from bad teaching until you've been around it for a while. And you've developed discernment. That just takes time within a community to, to test, is this teaching good? Is this something I've never heard before? wonder why that is. I should probably test that and ask other people about it. Therefore, until you know your way around the Bible, until you've developed some theological chops and spent some time in the Word of God and in a church, you're an infant. You're a spiritual infant. And again, back to the equipping and serving aspect of this, that's one reason we're invited to be part of a local church, is to help you grow in that way. So you might develop discernment in God's Word, build you up. So you might be able to look at that thing and go, it gives you life. It gives you life renews you, calls you forward, and transforms you. Here's another mark. So spiritual babies, are, they lack discernment. They also are incredibly self-centered. So we all know this, especially the parents. Real babies want what they want, when they want it, and it doesn't matter. It's now. It's always now. 
And they're incredibly self-centered. I shared this a couple weeks ago with the toddler's creed. You know, I don't want to go through it again. But, man, we're a little bit like that <laughs> spiritually. Like, a little self-centered. We get our feelings hurt. You know, somebody doesn't talk to me. I, get my, I feel like it's about me, not just a thing. I get slighted. I'm very conscious of how people are looking at me all the time. Um, if I'm being treated fairly or loved or included. That's why the Bible talks about the Israelites grumbling and complaining, the prevalent theme throughout their 40 years of wandering, because they were living in a prolonged state of spiritual immaturity, spiritual self-absorption, spiritual preoccupation over their wants and needs, all wrapped up in their anxieties and worries, that they couldn't even see God with them, like going with them in cloud and fire for 40 years. They were just so lost because Paul says they're looking at themselves, and that's our natural state. Like, we start that way Our unnatural state is to move into maturity, which is other focus, deep confidence in Christ, fullness of God in our lives. And and the fruit of which is all the stuff Paul talks about in verse 2, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And so we need to be matured. We need to grow so we can get there. We're starting, we start just so self-focused. Here's the last one. So babies lack discernment. They're self-centered. And then babies are just not steady. Verse 14 then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth. So one of the things we're going to you notice immediately is, and, I, and, and love about babies is you hold a baby, it looks you in the eye, you play that peekaboo game, but they have a very short attention span, right? How many of you have seen this with your own kids? A very short attention span. And, and this can be very endearing and also very irritating because the like the only way you can get a baby to pay attention for longer than 10 seconds is if you have lights or music or it's sparkly. This is why Doug the dog in the movie Up was so funny for us as adults because do you remember Doug the dog, Squirrel? Remember that guy? None of you do. Like a couple people over here like, okay, thank you. I'm like, that just... Uh, we are so distracted and bored, which honestly leads to complacency spiritually, and then that leads to cynicism so, for example, you come here on Sunday, you listen to a sermon, you get really convicted. Like I say, convicting things all the time, right? Right? Yeah. You know, and then you, or you read something in your morning devotion, you're like, you're reading my, the, the Jesus thing, whatever it's called, that Jesus devotion. Jesus is calling, you read that, you post it on your Instagram, you're like so convicted, right? And then you sit down, that's Monday morning, you sit down and you're like, Wednesday, you're like, what was that? what was that thing I was thinking about on Monday? And then days go by, and then weeks go by, and then you ask yourself, you're doing your, your best self-journal, and you're like, 12 weeks later, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And you're like, why has nothing changed in my life? Why am I stuck here? Why am I just in a rut? Because you lack, you lack focus. <laughs> you're a spiritual baby. And I just want to say this, all of us are in that boat together, that little life raft on the ocean. Like, all of us, at one time or another, Paul puts himself in the same boat. He doesn't say, you babies, grow up. Get mature. Listen to what he says. We are infants. We are infants. We babies are being tossed to and fro. Paul, he's the apostle, the author of the majority of the New Testament, the church planner extraordinaire. I'm a baby. I struggle with steadiness. I lack discernment. I can be incredibly proud, self-centered, kind of have an anger issue, we think. Uh, in fact, in Romans 7, Paul says this. Remember this? I can think, I can think it, but I can't will it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. 
I decide not to do bad, but I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. There's a baby. And how many of you have read that and go, that's me? Man, I struggle with putting decisions into action. We are, because we're all infants. And, and thus, we have, to, we have to move on to ask this question, what are we supposed to do about it? If we have the life of God, the Trinity in us, and yet we're babies, how do we grow up? If you're realizing you lack discernment and you're self-centered and you're not steady, how, how will you grow up? Well, I'm glad you asked, because this is the last point I want to make. So even though we have the life of the Trinity in us and we live in spiritual maturity, we have to be willing to do the hard work, this is just according to Ephesians, of developing and creating unity in the church. So look at verse 13 here. There's equipping for ministry. So I'm equipping you for ministry until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God or of Christ. So this is a little bit esoteric, but stay with me, okay? Um, Because it's vital to our understanding of how we grow. Um, In verse 13, the Greek word that Paul uses there is this very strange sort of turn of phrase. And literally, he says, as we grow in unity in the faith and in the experience of the Son of God, we become mature. Here's the literal translation of that. He says, as we grow in unity in the faith and experience the Son of God, we become mature man. (laughs) Or you put yourself, if you're a woman, we become mature woman. Not women, not men, but man. Okay, it's singular. Uh, It's a singular noun. It's really strange. That's why none of the English translations translate it that way but it has a a really important, broader application for our lives. And here's why. Notice in the next verse, verse 14, he offers that disturbing illustration of a baby in a life raft on an open ocean. But he says in in this negative sense, we'll no longer be infants, babies. Are you with me? Tossed back and forth. So we're like babies, plural. And yet, if you're mature, you're a man. You're a woman, singular. Are you with me? No, it's esoteric, but it's through union. It's through oneness. It's through becoming one that we reach maturity. That's it. Uh, it's, it's very strange, and yet it's vitally important to our understanding to, of the process of maturity. Here's what I mean. Our commitment to unity, our commitment to unity in the body has a direct impact, correlating impact on your growth into maturity. The more you commit yourself to community, the more mature you'll be. The more you commit yourself to oneness in Christ, the more mature you'll be. We have this uh, saying at Bethany, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And some of us think that that's just a nice saying. But we believe that our commitment to unity, the, the main things, the essentials, has a direct impact on our maturity, our growth in Christ. And I've seen it in the four or five years I've been at Bethany. And Bethany has seen it for 100 years in the city. And I hope we continue to see it. So a couple applications for our lives to leave you with. Number one, with respect to our union with God, okay, in Christ, we are united to Christ, right? God, Christ is our head. We grow up into Christ. Into Christ defines growing up. Number one, Christ is what mature adulthood looks like, if I could put it another way. If you've got a picture of Jesus in your mind, Christ is what it means to grow up. Christ is what a mature Christian community looks like. Christ, Jesus, period. If it doesn't look like Jesus, doesn't smell like Jesus, doesn't sound like Jesus, it's not mature. It's not Jesus. 
Uh, don't try and, you've heard this before, but what's brown, has a bushy tail, runs around crazy and collects nuts? Jesus. In a church, we say that, but you know it's a squirrel because you've been taught that. But if it's not Jesus, it's not Jesus. Don't try and put Jesus on a squirrel or Jesus on false doctrine or Jesus on just bad fellowship. Jesus is what mature Christianity looks like. And Paul doesn't trust us to know exactly what he means by that. And so he makes, us, he makes sure that he has into Christ in the sentence. Christ must define our growth into true adulthood. The person of Jesus, who lived just 33 years, I mean, that's amazing to me, 45 now, he lived just 33 years on this planet. He has the ability to train our imagination in what it looks like to be mature. That's crazy if you think about it. A 33-year-old man for thousands of years is training us in maturity, which by way of application means this. We must continually immerse our lives and our life together in the story of Jesus. Begin, I said it's hard to read the Bible. Start with Jesus. Start with the Gospels. Keep Jesus before you at all times. Like read some Gospel every day. The rest of it, some days. Gospel, every day. That means not only rehearsing the story of God with your family and, your, and yourself, but immersing our community in that story, constantly coming back to his life, what he said, what he did, who he loved, how he prayed, his ethic, his convictions, his faith. Jesus had faith in God. That's how he was able to do. He wasn't like a superhuman. He just had a profound amount of faith, and God's calling you to that. But also, here's the thing. When people get up and use the Bible as an, a way to exclude others, as a means of, like a weapon against other people, Uh, whether it's a group of people such as asylum seekers or refugees or minority groups or women. (laughs) When Christianity becomes a polarizing power in our world and and, and a demeaning force, um, a way of devaluing other people, I don't care of their religion, their, their sexual orientation, I don't care. If Christianity becomes a means to that end, it's not Christianity. Okay? Uh, we must, as followers of Jesus, look at Jesus, how he lived his life, and then not only voice our concern for that form of Christianity, but also stand in solidarity as Christ with those people. Um, so John chapter 8, you know, there's this woman who's caught in adultery, caught in the act of adultery. Remember this story? She's been brought into public, public shame, and she's facing death by stoning. And Jesus enters the story. And again, if you're, tr- if you're allowing Jesus to train your imagination in what it looks like to be a mature Christian, Jesus enters the story. He stands with her and he confronts the religious powers of the day. He confronts them. In union with the Father, he says to them, I define the gospel. And thus I define, I define a mature Christian life. I am the definition of it. And therefore... The one of you, you've been to seminary your whole lives, these Pharisees. You've studied your Bibles backwards and forwards. The one of you that's without sin, throw the first stone. Go ahead. You're more mature than I am? Try it on for size. And what do they do? Not a single one of them is remaining. And then he does this amazing thing. He turns over to the woman, and he does something very similar. He says, where are your accusers? Who condemns you? I don't condemn you. Not God. I define the gospel, daughter. I define the gospel, sister. And thus, I define what it looks like to live into Christ. So leave your life of sin. Leave it. Leave it behind. Don't let other people define you. 
I'm your true north. Grow up into me. Okay? So that's what it looks like, and that's what it means, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, to speak the truth in love. We think it's all about, hey, I'm just speaking the truth in love. You know? He's actually speaking the truth in love to this woman and to these men by saying, this is truth. This is how God's designed us. This is truth. This is how God's designed you. Live into that truth. He's reminding the people around him of who they are, whose they are, what it means to live into Christ. Jesus is the gospel. Here's the last thing I want to say in verse 15 about how he grew up. So you grew up into Christ, and then in verse 15, in every way. In every way. Which means this. Growth into Christ is absolutely inclusive and thoroughly comprehensive. Absolutely inclusive. It includes every one of you in the room. Youngest to oldest, furthest from Christ to closest, oldest and youngest, like I said, and thoroughly comprehensive. Think of this in terms of a body, a physical body. There is no way that we think this with our adolescents for just one part of your body to grow. You know, like you think your feet are growing, but the rest of your body's not. You got huge feet or massive arms. It's not just arms, legs, and feet that grow, though we think it is. In reality, your whole body is growing at all times. You are an organism. There, no part of you ever remains static or unchanged. And so while other parts are just sitting there, or while parts are growing and some are remaining static, as an organism, you're interconnected, interdependent. And so here's the application for our lives in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a body with many parts. It's another one of those places he uses this body metaphor. And he, he uses that to, to help us think about what it looks like to be included in the growth of the body and how comprehensive that growth is. The toe can't say, if you're a toe here today, I'm just a little toe. I don't have any part in this, this thing. I don't have a part here. The head can't, well, head's Christ. So what's your dominant arm? Are you right-handed, left-handed? Your right arm cannot say, man, I got, I'm so strong. Look at this thing. I can, I can play the drums, you know. I can do all this good work here in the church, you know. No, the whole body is part of it. It's absolutely inclusive, thoroughly comprehensive. The entire body of Christ is involved necessarily in the process of maturity into Christ. Does this make sense to you? Every member of the body, which means this, that all of us must be involved in the growth of this body, if you call this body your home body. <laughs> growth and maturity is not a specialty task for some people on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever day it is. Our growth for it to be thorough, robust, into Christ, it can't be all arms and legs. It can't be just ears and feet. The pinkies and toes can't just be idly by and sitting around and just waiting for somebody else to step in. All of us need to be involved in the growth of our body. Put differently, Paul says it this way, there's no growing into spiritual maturity just by working on yourself as an individual. individual. Uh, it's through deep involvement in a church, a Christian community, and increasing unity and closeness in those relationships that you experience maturity. Growth requires every part of you, our, our, a part of us, and thus every one of us has a vital role to play. Every one of you has a vital role to play. We're called to growth into Christ in every way, and so my question, I guess, for us by way of departure, I want to press us toward that end. We're headed into a summer, lots of options on the table for us, in the city, uh, the lake, our boat, the mountains, hiking, me, my bike. How might you engage more deeply in the body of Christ? 
while doing those things? How might you contribute to the maturity of this body? Uh, How might you engage in your own maturity throughout the summer? It could be through joining a a small group and and reading the Bible with other people. Maybe it's you need to start your own. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's serving on one of our Sunday morning teams. We have challenges (laughs) every Sunday, me and Becca. And and there's always more to do here to help make this happen. Um, It could be just stepping into a ministry on the margins. You know, Silas, one of the reasons we hired you is your passion for the marginalized. A question Silas asked in his interview was, what does marginality look like at Bethany Northeast? Who's sitting on the margins? What does marginality look like in Lake City? He's passionate for this. Would you want to walk alongside uh, him and those teams serving our community meal with Alicia? Or with HIP this summer, there's a little blurb in your bulletin about serving lunches with hunger intervention program this summer for families that experience food insecurity. Or just walking, like, the streets of Lake City. Or put it in your neighborhood. Wedgwood, View Ridge, Maple Leaf. Praying for the neighborhood. Praying for the neighbors. Engaging in conversation with those you meet. Trusting that God's brought them across your path for a reason. Speaking the truth in love there. Being the presence of Christ there. It could be through the ministry of hospitality. There's so many ways. And so we're going to keep talking about this. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about this. Because I really believe until we've, until Christ has returned, we're probably never there. But we are called to be mature in every way into Christ. And I want to grow with you. I'm so passionate about this. Um, so I want to invite our worship team up. Part of that growth this morning um, that I want to invite us to, it's going to, by way of response. This kind of came to, to us late in the week. Um, someone here, I'm not naming names because she doesn't want to be named, but uh, emailed me and said, hey, how are the Petries doing? Uh, good friends of mine. And uh, we kind of prayed for uh, Sean and Anna recently and said, hey, would, would they want uh, one of Bethany's prayer quilts? So this blanket up here, it's a thing that we've done at Green Lake for years, and I loved it when I was there for those nine months um, as a way of being deacons. We're called to ministry, friends. All of us are deacons. And it's a way of just spiritually, in the spirit, we have the life of the Trinity in us, almost weaving healing, weaving hope, weaving endurance and strength into the life of this family. And so this person asked me on Friday, can we do that? I'm like, sure, how's Sunday sound? <laughs> and so this person emailed me last night and said, I got it, we're good, so it's here. And so up here next to the stage, we have one of, we have a prayer quilt. And the invitation for you as part of this growth into maturity, this is for the Petrie family, is to literally come up, um, there's not enough tassels on the quilt, you'll tie a knot in the tassel, and that's a prayer for Sean and Anna and Hadassah and Mariah and Elijah. There's not enough tassels for every one of you to have a tassel, so you'll tie a knot, and then there'll be a knot on a knot, and a knot on a knot. And this will be, a, you know, in a couple of weeks, these guys will take it home, and a reminder to them that there's a body surrounding them. They're not alone on the, in this body. And because one of the members of this body has cancer, we're going to bring healing into this, the whole body. We're going to fight. This is how we fight our battles, friends. That's that song we sing. We're going to fight with you and for you because we love you. Okay? So that's the invitation. Is it clear? As you're led this morning, we'll be here again next week. This will be here as well. Come and tie a knot and pray for the Petrus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to respond, to step into wholeness. Um, In faith, we do this, God. We know that your desire for us is 
maturity, which is living into the, the fullness of Christ um, in every way, uh, which is receiving our identity again, God. A lot of us have had our identities ripped away from us. And so I want to pray around that, God. Where, uh, friends, where your identity has been torn away from you, our beloved, God delights in you. Some of us are experiencing brokenness in relationships around Father's Day. So God desires healing in those relationships. That's something God wants for us, friends. So I pray, God, that you would bring a sense of hope. And then we want to specifically come alongside Sean and Anna and Mariah and Hadassah and Elijah. And we thank you for them, God. Thank you that they're members of this body. We thank you, Christ, that you are our head and that in you, as we grow up into you, there is hope, there is healing, there is power. And we claim that, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.